Welcome, everyone. It's so nice to see everybody this Sukkot 2022. Those online, those here, and I don't know if any of you online have never traveled to Salem, Oregon and gathered with Torah to the Tribes, but I highly recommend it. This has been such a blessed gathering, and we just had a Ruach HaKadosh uh, glory moment yesterday when Tamara Salerno uh, just passed the mic to all of us and we got to know one another. We heard the testimonies. Our testimonies are so powerful and what a blessing that has been. And, and I just want to say thank you to Matthew and Tamara Nolan for extending to me the invite to come and share this word. So the message Today is going to be the message of the manna. And we begin with the introduction, and then it's a four-part series. And this is where Yahuwah led me. He led me to speak on a topic I would not have chosen other my desire to live a better lifestyle of fasting and prayer. And those were two areas in my life that I needed help with. I struggled with it. When I would try to fast, I would get very weak. I would feel very badly. I really couldn't. I looked around at my family and I didn't like where they were at. I started praying and wrestling with Yahweh for direction. I mean, I really wrestled with him. He, now, he used my sister Carol Ann, he does that often, to lead me to a resource that then led me to another resource that greatly impacted my family since June 20th of this year. The goals we set for learning how to fast and pray the rest of our lives. So, and y'all wants us to live healthy the rest of our life. And another goal was to get my husband off blood pressure medicine. And guess what? We did it. And he's so excited and he's so focused on that and he can't go back to not being obedient because he'd have to go back on his blood pressure medicine. So, you know, and, and have more time for prayer and fasting and have more time for preparing nutritionally dense food. Food both physically nourishing and spiritually because if we're not in the kitchen all the time, and if we focus on one healthy, nutrient-dense meal, we have more time. We have more time. We have more time for Him. And I wanted to be more physically active. I'm still working on that. And be more in line with living a covenant, obedient lifestyle. Living it every day. And, and so those were some of our goals. And, and I hope you all will be inspired to make some of those goals your own goals. Simultaneously, I was asking Yahuwah what topic he wanted me to focus on for Sukkot. And it was obvious what rose to the surface was living a better lifestyle of fasting and prayer. But then it quickly morphed into the message of the manna, and it was, it's been a, an amazing journey, which 
in this four part, this will be a four part series in addition to today's introduction. So I'm, you know, he gave me the title of the message, the message of the manna before he gave me the content. And that can be unnerving. <laughs> but as you go with him, as you have your daily devotionals, boy, he just plops it. He plops it in your lap. And so this series is from him. And it is a four-part series plus today's introduction. Now, I wanted to start off making it very clear what is the message of the manna? And in order to do that, because it's a five-part series, and I, I didn't want y'all to get lost along the way, so let's just hit it right now, okay? So what is the message of the manna? And I did an acronym. I made it up. It may not be perfect, but it will help you remember, okay? All right. <laughs> and so M means moving away from nasty nutrition, both physically and spiritually, and that also includes amount and frequency, and drawing near to him in a covenant, obedient lifestyle. So for me and my family, this process has been truly life-changing. It really has. It's been truly life-changing, and I pray that it will bless you and your families. So what do I mean by nasty nutrition? It not only means avoiding unclean foods. I mean, that's what I learned through Tour to the Tribes, the difference between clean and unclean. Some of you grew up in, in an atmosphere that may have already known clean and unclean. We did not. So it not only means avoiding unclean foods, but also it includes the amount and frequency of the food and drinks we consume. And amount and frequency play a huge part in the message of the manna. And it was also incorporated in the first exodus. This world, our Egypt, promotes consuming usually by most of the population three poor quality meals a day along with several sugary drinks and snacks in between which opens the door to lifestyle illnesses one must say no more and take authority over their mindset and choices i mean a lifestyle illness attacked my sister a lifestyle illness attacked my dad who is dead now and I'm very thankful that Yahuwah healed my sister Carol because we're inseparable and, and I'm just extremely thankful. As his kingdom of priests, with the understanding of the message of the manna, we will find that the amount and frequency of feeding ourselves in the natural will beautifully, beautifully denigrate with minimal hunger pangs as our spiritual appetites elevate to overflowing. You will see that basically we just need to get out of the way and allow our bodies to heal because we 
are fearfully and wonderfully made. And he wants us to be healthy and strong because we have a mission. We have a huge mission. We are to spread the Melchizedek covenant-confirming gospel message. We have the true message. That is off the chart. It is off the chart. What was the lesson of the manna? That's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Yahuwah. In essence, when we initially came out of our Egypt, most of us had no clue, not, not only how to not, how to, we, we not only knew not how to rightly divide his word of truth, we didn't even know how to eat, what to eat, when to eat, how much to eat. Many of us did not know the difference between the clean and unclean foods. You know, coming out of the traditional church, they pretty much advocated eating anything, sometimes even roadkill. I mean, really, and they joke about it, gross. Yes, they, they, the traditional churches, many did try, and we were blessed that we had that introduction to the faith. But we are highly blessed in this gathering through Torah to the Tribes and how they have imparted and, ex and explained how to rightly divide his word of truth. So the church did speak of fasting and prayer, and, and we many of us did try. But some of us really struggled physically with fasting, and we were not sure why. I know that was my case. The why behind many of our struggles was because we had been feasting frequently on poor food choices. We found it hard to fast, and pretty much exercise was minimal. Daily we are surrounded with snacks available at every checkout counter, every commercial you watch fast food restaurants on every corner. And we tried even artificial sweeteners thinking that would help balance off the desserts. All of this created an internal digestive pockets of chaos. We, we rarely think about what our body goes through to digest or store or what to do with all this stuff or filter out, and we are the temple, and we are his kingdom of priests. And what are the kingdom of priests supposed to do? Take care of the temple. They had some pretty strict guidelines on how to take care of the temple. I mean, they, they knew what to do when they went into that temple. And so we are responsible for taking care of our temple. I even pondered by what we eat and take in our bodies. Could this possibly even equate to bringing in strange fire to his temple? I, I thought about that. You know, I really did because, you know, yes. 
And to go from such a nasty, metabolic, chaotic mess to fasting was ridiculous and would have been probably dangerous if I pursued it much further. Some of you are, are more metabolically stable than others. Apparently, I was not stable. <laughs> the bottom line is this. How is your life right now? Are you where you want to be? What might be your goals and aspirations? How would you like to improve your life in the natural and in the spiritual? How do you want to set an example? Are you waiting for someone to save you? You know, a lot of people go to hospitals and go to physicians with white coats, and, and I'm not bashing them. Some are definitely in it for the right reason. But sometimes we rely on that system more than we rely on Yahweh. And how do you want to set an example? Are you waiting and knowing that no one is coming to save us? There's only one way. There's only one solution. There's only one truth. And that is Yahweh, the living word. Yahuwah has given us, his people, all we need to rescue ourselves from this lost and dying world. His name is Yahushua, and his power is within all of you. He's given us all we need, and you can do this. Hold on just a second, I'm trying to get my mouse to work. There we go. The only way a person can stand in the presence of Yahuwah, who is an all-consuming fire, and not be burned is by being washed by the blood of the Lamb and walk in righteousness. And walk in a righteous covenant lifestyle. However, we had to first come out of her, my people, lest we partook not only in her sins, but also in her plagues. Often we say, come out of her, my people, lest you partake of her sins. No, but partake of her sins and her plagues. Now, if you will, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Peter. Second Peter, excuse me, chapter two, verse one through nine. Because we weren't told this in the traditional church. Second Peter chapter two, verse one through nine. But there also came to be false prophets among the people, as also among you there shall be false teachers who shall secretly bring in destructive heresies and deny the master who, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. And many shall follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and in greed with fabricated words they shall use you for gain. Oh boy. Throughout the past have we not been used for gain? From of old, their judgment does not linger, 
and their destruction does not slumber. Verse 4. For if Elohim did not spare the messengers who sinned, but sent them to Tartarus and delivered them into chains of darkness to be kept for judgment, Sheol, and did not spare the world of old, but preserved Noah, a proclaimer of righteousness, and seven others, bringing in the flood on the world of the wicked, and having reduced to ashes the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, condemned them to destruction having made them an example to those who afterward would live wickedly, and rescued righteous Lot, who was oppressed with the indecent behavior of the lawless. Verse 8 is in parentheses, but it goes on to say, For day after day that righteous man dwelling among them tortured his righteous being by seeing and hearing their lawless works. And then Yahuwah knows how to rescue the reverent ones from trial and to keep the unrighteous unto the day of judgment to be punished. We walk, we that walk in his Melchizedek covenant commands are not only within the ark of Yahusha, he's got us sealed. He's got us sealed in his ark. But walk in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh as his royal, kingly ambassadors. Hidden manna is reserved for the overcomers. Israel, and we are Israel born from above. Israel means to overcome with El, to strive with El. The manna is set apart for the righteous. And I believe this hidden manna has much to do with understanding who we are as his kingdom of priests. I believe that is a portion of hidden manna that he revealed to us. Sukkot, as we know, means temporary dwelling, and it reflects the transition between darkness unto light. With each cycle of Sukkot, there should be more of his light and truth in us as we grow together as the one new man, and we burn cleaner and brighter. Matter of fact, today's devotional included Ephesians 2, the one new man. Hallelujah. Sukkot was also the name of the Israel. Israelites first campsite out of Egypt. We gather on the Feast of Tabernacles knowing one day, one day, our King will manifest and we will see him face to face. We will be forever out of this dark world. We will be in his very presence. We will consummate our marriage and rejoice at the marriage supper of the Lamb. He acts and moves on his Moedim. And many of us learned about that through Tour to the Tribes. As part of this introduction, I'd like to focus a bit more on our Sukkot transition as we shift our temple man from darkness unto light, both 
in the natural and the spiritual because sanctification is a process and it's not only a process spiritually but it's a process physically I mean we should be more and more set apart physically and more and more set apart spiritually and all of that involves time energy risk and love I know many of you have had some rifts in your family because you chose to follow Yahusha you you chose to follow Covenant Torah and that took time energy it took risk and it took love and perseverance and none of us are overnight sensations so this shift requires disciplined obedience and detoxing from former doctrines former ways and healing from personal traumas that can develop into roots of bitterness so there's a lot going on in us right you know but we're making progress we're moving forward never turn back right never turn back in first Corinthians chapter 3 verse 1 through 9 it says and I brothers was not able to speak to you as to spiritual ones but as to fleshly as to babes and Messiah I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it and even now you are still not able for you are still fleshly for since there is envy and strife and divisions among you are you not fleshly and walking according to man for when one says I am of Shaul and another I am of Apollos are you not fleshly what then is Apollos and what is Shaul but servants I mean this is the opening of the transition into the Melchizedek priestly covenant confirming gospel message being spread around this is the the transition and they're trying to teach people that now we are considered servants we're not walking around in long flowing robes we are fellow servants what then is Apollos and what is Shaul but servants through whom you believed as the master assigned to each I planted Apollos watered but Elohim was giving growth so neither he who plants nor he who waters is any at all but Elohim who gives the increase and he who plants and he who waters are one and each one shall receive his own reward according to his own labor for we are fellow workers of Elohim you are the field of Elohim the building of Elohim we live in the world but we are not of the world our true citizenship is where in heaven it is no longer we that live but Messiah that lives in us and through us we serve as his royal kingly ambassadors on earth doing his kingdom work and possess the true 
covenant-confirming gospel message. I cannot say that enough. I mean, it took me 32 years to even find Jesus at the time. And now I know his true name, Yahusha. And, of course, we don't get hung up on a lot of those pronunciations. I'm not trying to go there. But I highly value having discovered that. And I've been on the fast track because I was a late bloomer. But believe me, I've been on the fast track. And I'm never letting go. And I want to make big plans. And I want to set big goals. And I want to do all I can to glorify Yahweh. So having his true covenant-confirming gospel message, knowing how to rightly divide his word of truth, that's huge. That's huge. That's such an amazing gift. And you all possess it. You all understand it. There is only one narrow path that leads to righteousness. And this understanding is a very big part, I believe, of the hidden manna. Yahusha, our high priest, after the order of Melchizedek. His scripture is clear. There's no confusion. I go back and I, I test everything I hear. I want you to test everything you hear. Take it back to his word. Take it back to him and see if these things be so. And I did that and they are so. And it's just been such an amazing journey. Like the jar of manna in the ark that never spoiled beside the covenant commands and his rod and staff that comforted us, his bride will be close in proximity to her groom, the living bread. As overcomers, we stay the course in our sanctification process of detoxing and refining ourselves in the natural and the spiritual as we move from darkness to light and as we break away from worldly, unholy alliances, doctrines, and addictions. We have said yes to Yahushua's blood-ratified covenant proposal sealed with his precious blood. We have removed our sandals of authority in which we once walked in this fallen world. We have been mikvahed, cleansed by our high priest, Yahushua, and we have partaken of his covenant-confirming meal of bread and wine and have entered into his kingdom of priests. Therefore, as his priest, deeper truths are revealed. So in that scripture we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, it identifies how we refer to one another as servants, fellow workers, the field of Elohim, the building of Elohim. So how should the Melchizedek body view one another? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 8 through 11, we read, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Messiah. And you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father. He who is in the heavens, he who is in the heavens, excuse me, Neither be called leaders, for one is your leader, the Messiah. 
but the greatest among you, the greatest among you shall be your servant. So the answer to that question is simple. We are referred to as his kingdom of priests, period. And we perform functions. We perform functions of shepherding, serving, praising, teaching, facilitating, protecting, edifying, administering. Though we as his priests may teach, we are not considered a Nicolaitan teacher or a rabbi or a leader in that respect with positions, but we do function in our gifts to care for the sheep by preparing the table before the sheep, both physically and spiritually. The nouns that describe us are that we are his kingdom of priests, servants, fellow workers, performing those functions within the body, and that's totally different than the hierarchical structure of the Nicolaitan church or synagogue, synagogue positions. We all know that it is the Ruach HaKadosh that leads us to all truth, period. Only in him, as his Melchizedek kingdom of priests, are there not male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Yahushua told us, again, not to call anyone rabbi, teacher, or leader, for only he is the head of the body. To delineate between genders and positions telegraphs where we are in our spiritual detoxifying stage of Nicolaitan hierarchy or past personal trauma. We are one with him. He has given us the Melchizedek covenant confirming gospel message. Now, how? How can we use our gifts? Because I am looking at a room full of very talented, Ruach-filled, gifted individuals. So the question is, how can we use our gifts to spread his good news exponentially? Many get caught in the middle transition from coming out of Babylon and shifting over to the one new man. And some bring the ways of the Nicolaitans into the Melchizedek, which should not be. But hey, we're in transition, right? We're, we're going through the process. We're trying to scrub ourselves of those old ways and try to do things the Bible way. But many times we get stuck in the middle part, the Nicolaitan system. And that's where many of us started, really, because we came out of Babylon and then we got into the traditional church setting. And, and it was rather a lukewarm zone. Why was it lukewarm? Because it was an environment of mixing, mixing false doctrine and true doctrine. You know, so we were there, but even Yah used that to grow us up because he, there was some truth in it. And so he didn't leave behind any morsel. He used it all together for our good. So in this diagram, let me see if I can get the pointer here, and you have your handout too. 
here we are transitioning between Babylonian mystery, Babylon, if you will, darkness, to light, biblical Zion. So over to the left of your screen, I have the beast man rising. You'll recognize that fella as Nebuchadnezzar's statue, right? Because what? The enemy always counterfeits. He always has the counterfeit. Always has a counterfeit. And so that's where we began, right? We began in the beast man system. And the beast man is represented by Esau. And the one new man is represented by Israel. The two children that were warring in Rebekah's womb. And to this day, they still war. And in the book of Revelation, they still war. And we are in that war. <laughs> we are in the book of Revelation and the prophecy yet to come and be fulfilled. So the shift involves, there's only one way to the Father and that's through the Son. So anyone from the beast man system can shift over to the one new man, but they have to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. Period. You have to be washed by the blood of the Lamb. And so there we have a good visual of what is transpiring and why sometimes we get hung up on certain things like, you know, maybe a, a girl doing a teaching because we still have those mindsets of the Nicolaitan hierarchical structure when we are simply fellow servants. So the beast man rising is the world. The one new man, the temple man, is the Melchizedek. The Nicolaitan structure focuses on positions, nouns, if you will. And the one new man system functions on verbs, gifts, and working as one unit. And there's only one head, one leader, one teacher as our head. He is the head, we are the body. And we are made up of many parts, and we are one body. And we are responsible for taking care of that body, his firstborn son, Israel. And there's only one baby born in Revelation 12. One. And we should be about bringing the body together. The root. The root not dealt with will manifest. Matthew taught us that not too long ago. The root not dealt with will manifest. And that's a good thing. <laughs> hey, you get a splinter, it rises to the top, you pluck it out. So that's a good thing that our roots manifest. And we're in good company if they manifest among one another because we can help one another pluck that out. So in the message of the manna, we will see that Yahuwah first goes to the root of one of our most fleshly desires, our physical appetites. 
uncontrolled physical appetites not only expose physical but spiritual shortcomings. Like Matthew has said that I just shared, that little quote, I think it's one that we should remember, the root not dealt with will manifest. And if we do not take care of our physical bodies, our temples, what root might manifest within us? Could it be a pocket of chaos that we were unaware of? We just took it for granted. We're going to be healthy all the time. You know, I'll be 65 next Sunday. And I want to live the rest of my life healthy, productive. I want to live alive. I want to be like Daniel and his companions when they chose to eat the right foods and they look better than the world. That, that should be our goal. The other thing we need to be is objectively honest with ourselves. I was always bothered when I prayed over my desserts. <laughs> I, I was. It was just something not something is not right with this picture. So we must be objectively honest with ourselves. What are we doing in our lives that probably are not so pleasing to Yahuwah based on the biblical view of the set-apart message of the manna? Not with subjective views of listening to what tickles our ears and doing things our way or man's way. Man's way will have you in a mess physically. The message of the manna would be one of the most difficult lessons to teach the Israelites, and it would first entail mastering desires bent toward the delicacies of the world. And we are surrounded by delicacies of the world. I mean, we are in a service-type atmosphere, a service-type nation. Fast foods, drive through, get this, get that. And so we have to be very, very cautious about when we go into any restaurant because only you know what's in a meal if you prepare it. Uh, that's basically it. And this, this world is really going downhill in what they're starting to put in our foods. And we will see that many times physical needs for nutrition are abused and turned into a lustful fleshly desire. They're in many ways idolized. Today these fleshly cravings are not entirely a person's fault. Massive programming and engineered addictive manipulation taints many food and drink products to promote pagan desecration of our temple. The message of the manna also taught the Israelites how to number their days and, and has taught us the same thing by counting and preparing the, for the seventh day Sabbath rest, 
which included extra meal preparation on the sixth day. Gathering and preparing our own food takes time, energy, and love, both physically and spiritually, because we don't want to forget preparing our daily spiritual food. The devil is in the details behind addictive foods, drinks, and other lustful physical and spiritual appetites. The devil uses devices to lead the sheep astray, thus the reason for the king's cupbearers, bakers, priests, prophets, and scribes. That's how the enemy attacked the kings and, the, and their people, their, their, their um, prophets and their priests. That's how they attacked the royal party, if you will through food, through, through drinks, and nothing's new under the sun. It's the same thing. The enemy is attacking us and our families through food and drinks. The enemy also uses the Jezebel and Delilah spirits to worm their way into positions of authority to make Yahweh's shepherds and sheep stumble. Just ask Adam and Eve. Just, it started at the very beginning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7 through 12, it reads, and do not become idolaters as some of them, as it has been written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play. Neither should we commit whoring, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Neither let us try Messiah, as some of them also tried and were destroyed by serpents. Neither grumble, as some of them also grumbled and were destroyed by the destroyer. And all these came upon them as examples, and they were written as a warning to who? To us, on whom the ends of the ages have come, so that he who thinks he stands, let him take heed lest he fall. So what did we just read concerning our fleshly, physical appetites that can spill over spiritually into try Messiah? Look at verse 7. And do not become idolaters as some of them, as it has been written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play? That's idolatry. It's connected to what? It's connected to Exodus 32.6, the sin of the golden calf. Hello. I mean, every day we're around eating, drinking, and playing, but not us. When we do eat, when we do drink, when we do play, what Matthew always says, keep it kosher. Totally different. Totally different. Keep it kosher. Because eating, drinking, playing, sports mania, all of that stuff, can be idolized. And we, we see that, we know that, and I know I'm preaching to the choir. In verse 8, it says not to commit whoring, violating our temple gates and walls. Whoo! Whoo! Boy, we live in a day 
that this world is promoting to violate your temple. We cannot let just anyone stick us with anything. Our body belongs to Yahuwah. We are the temple. We are his priest. And we have to guard what goes into this body, whether it's through the skin and the muscle, whether it's through the mouth, whether it's through any orifice of our body. We are the temple priests, and we are responsible for our temple. So what do all of these things have in common? All of these things are related to the big three, the big three the enemy always uses, right? Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. That's it. But there's a numerous ways to use those three things. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Yahweh's desire is that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. More than hungering and thirsting for our next meal, snack, drink, or good time. The message of the manna is just one of many lessons showing us to prioritize the spiritual man over the natural man. Our fleshly appetites should be denigrated and our spiritual appetites should be elevated and reign over our soul, which calls our flesh into submission. We truly do not live by bread alone, but by the very word of Elohim, the living bread. And what is so amazing, when we learn this process, when we learn how to fast clean, never knew that term before, but when we learn how to fast clean and feast well and exercise smart, when we do start losing weight and getting healthier, we look younger. We don't look older. Because in the past, I would do weight loss routines and stuff, and I'd look in the mirror and say, whoa, I better stop now, <laughs> you know? Because I was looking old. And so, you know, I've tested this process out since June 20th. I'm not going to sit here and teach anything I haven't tested. <laughs> and so I've tested it out and I feel better. Now, for the first three months, didn't feel too hot. I was doing some major detoxing. I talked to Caroline, I don't know what's going on today, but it's not a good day. You know, there's no telling what our body is trying to cleanse and get rid of. In the, first exodus, in the first exodus, Yahuwah prepared the people for a very different approach to life, to life. He began with the Passover and his Sabbath rest. He first taught them in the natural with proper food selection. For Passover, he instructed the people to select a perfect lamb or goat on the tenth of the first month and observe and care for it four days. It would have been one they would have carefully chosen and would not have been tainted by the Egyptians and their gods. Then 
He gave a cooking class. Let me get rid of this pointer. Okay. He gave a cooking class. This is how to prepare the lamb. Do not eat it raw. See, he was very, very involved in our food from the very beginning, from the Exodus. And as soon as we did our Exodus, that should have been part of our focus. But we, we learned more about spiritual before we learned about these things that really helped make us stronger spiritually. This is how to prepare the lamb. Do not eat it raw with its life's blood like the heathens do. Do not boil the lamb in the defiled, seasoned flesh pots, if you will, of Egypt. But I think that's why, you know, they didn't, he didn't want them to use the flesh pots. They were probably unclean. They were probably not suited. He also required them to roast the lamb over fire and to make the unleavened bread. They were to eat the Passover with their loins girded, sandals on, and staff in hand. They were not to leave any leftovers, but burn them. Because that food, that food was set apart. That food wasn't just for anybody. Manna from heaven isn't just for anybody. So it was set apart food. They were not to leave any leftovers but burn them. And all these instructions valued set-apartness that would one day cross over to behold a vision of living spiritually set-apart lives. Sadly, many of us were not taught these physical foundational lessons when coming into the faith. Instead, most were first taught the spiritual Nicolaitan doctrine of men, which for many did not include Yahweh's Moedim lessons to build upon. We loved Jesus, but we had no clue about clean and unclean in the natural nor spiritual, nor did we know we were Israel born from above, nor how to prop properly prepare our food, nor how to properly fast, nor how to properly divide his word of truth, nor did we observe our very wedding rehearsals, our moedim. Those are our wedding rehearsals. What bride does not show up for her wedding rehearsal? So learning to get beyond physical fleshly appetites was very much one of the first lessons. And what happens when food supplies run thin, which we may face? We've all heard the news reports. It is in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1, just a month after leaving Egypt, when the food rations they brought with them apparently grow thin. This campsite would teach them that Yahuwah was their provider and teach them to count and honor the Sabbath. Exodus 16, 1. And they set out for Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second new month after their going out of the land of Egypt. And all the congregation of the children of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, If only we had 
died by the hand of Yahuwah in the land of Mitzrayim, when we sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to satisfaction. For you, you, you have brought us out into this wilderness to put all this assembly to death with hunger. Can you imagine being in that environment for 40 years? Bless his heart, you know? Their physical lust and appetites for the flesh pots of Egypt were placed above Yahuwah. Their bellies were placed above Yahuwah, above his miraculous rescue of the Israelites out of Egypt, above Yahuwah's defeat of Egypt, and basically above all his provisions for them. They missed the true meaning of the blood over their doorposts and lentils protecting them from the death angel. They missed the true meaning of crossing over the Sea of Reeds and beginning again in their new life in Yahuwah. They missed that they were to gird their loins with truth. I mean, he told them to gird their loins and then my mind automatically goes to Ephesians 6. The only other time I think of girding the loins is put on that truth. Walk in his authority when he told them to take up their staff and put on their sandals and be sustained with unleavened bread in hand. In essence, looking back over that list, those were really the components within the future Ark of the Covenant. You know, truth. Even though I connected that with Ephesians 6, but girding their loins and taking up their staff and putting on their sandals. He was moving them from a slave mentality to a warrior mentality. Are we warriors? Yes, we are warriors. And also sustained them on the unleavened bread, which the manna in the jar was in the Ark of the Covenant as well. The scriptures unveiled that they didn't value the heavenly manna over the worldly Egyptian flesh pots and provisions. Ooh. I mean, this is speaking to us too. Even though the manna was nutritiously perfect, even though it was set apart for them alone, even though daily portions of manna came directly from the heavens, even though they were literally being fed by the hand of Elohim, they would bite the very hand that fed them. In Revelation 12, 6, we read, we too will one day be nourished by Elohim. Revelation 12, 6, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by Elohim to be nourished there 1,260 days. And my friend, that's in our near future. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So gathering and preparing the manna. And like I shared, preparing nutrient-dense food takes time, energy, and love. But if you don't have to do that as often, it works out pretty well. So for the Israelites, the first step would be that each morning the Israelites were to gather one omer daily. 
So a certain amount, right? And on the sixth day, two omers, and an omer was 2.3 quarts or over half a gallon. The manna had to be gathered in the morning before the sun became hot and would melt. It's an interesting product, the manna. And we're going to learn much more about that. The Israelites were in the very midst of the message of the manna, both physically and spiritually, because in the process of being set apart for Yahuwah, everything changes. Does it not? Being set apart for Yahuwah, everything changes. We noted that the manna would change consistency. It would melt with heat. In Numbers 11.8, it reads, The people went about and gathered it. They had to grind it on millstones. They had to beat it in the mortar and cook it in a pot and make cakes of it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. So what was once scattered in many pieces that they had to gather, what was once scattered in many pieces would be crushed, it would be beaten, and pressed together into one. What does that sound like? Sounds like us, huh? That's a code. We come together. We're pressed together. Yes. And we are forming the one new man. In the process of time, Yahweh would move them from the tainted foods and flesh pots of Egypt to eating clean, set-apart manna and living water. To optimally function physically, mentally, and spiritually, we too should experience this shift to the greater life-giving manna of heaven reigning in our lives and drink in his living water so that we should never thirst. Yahweh actually rained like raindrops. He, he was raining manna from the heavens. And that was a forerunner of Yahushua HaMashiach, the bread of life that rules and reigns from his throne today. In Revelation 2.17 is where we find he who has an ear and you see, believers have a different ear than most in the natural. We have spiritual hearing and we have natural hearing. He who has an ear can only hear what the Spirit is telling to the assemblies. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. To him who overcomes, I shall give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I shall give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. In the future, it's going to be important to remember that in this verse, manna is connected to a white stone. It's not only a white stone, but it's a white stone that can be engraved upon. And not only that, it's going to have a new name written on it. Now, manna in... Revelation 2.17 in Strong's Greek's, Greek's Dictionary means that is man. 
It is also identified as an edible gum. This is going to be a very interesting journey. So you'll have to stay tuned to the future series. So Revelation 2.17, make a note of that. It mentions manna, white stone, and an engraved name, and they're all grouped together. Israel was in her infancy. In the process of time, Yahweh exercised much patience, but with most, he was not pleased. They were a hard-hearted people requiring much physical discipline as in correction, but few, few possessed the discipline of obedience. Most caved to the big three, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And those are the only three devices Satan and his demonic army have. In this upcoming four-part message of the manna, which our next session will be, I believe, on Tuesday, I've taken several excerpts from this interview between two physicians, Dr. Gymnatus, who is a cardiologist, and Dr. Chatterjee, a general practitioner. Now, finding physicians with a passion to truly help people be healthy while knowing this information would decrease their revenue is a rare find, and that's, that was my profession, was nursing. I lived that life, and I learned most of my health understanding after leaving that life. <laughs> yes, indeed. So this is a rare find. And these physicians are selling it to other physicians, but it's a hard sell because they make their revenue off of people that are sick. So what is revealed in this interview is a pearl in itself. And may these medical insights and proofs be received with acceptance and honor because they actually validate how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. So these will be secular medical views validating Yahweh's biblical truths. And, and so this is between an interview between a general practitioner and a cardiologist. This interview brings self-evidence to the table knowingly or unknowingly validating Yahweh's word. This was one of the resources Yah used to show me how to live a lifestyle. That word is very important. A lifestyle of fasting that I could couple with prayer. This helped me and my family tremendously. I'm very passionate about this. And I hope it blesses you likewise. We know with certain health and psychological conditions, fasting may not be initially recommended nor possible. So it may not be for everyone. These clips are being shared for educational and inspirational insights, revealing Yahweh's timeless truths behind his covenant commands. But basically his word said to do it and we should have done it. 
and not ask why. Would you please show me the self-evidence, Yahweh, for, for circumcising a male child on the eighth day? No, he just said, do it. You know, later on we found out why. Because the blood can co coagulate best at eight days of age. But it wasn't self-evident at the time. He just said, do it. If he said, do it, let's do it. We recall the first sin, keep this in mind, the first sin in the Bible was a violation of a dietary restriction, or at least a restriction from their physical, fleshly appetites. Adam and Eve were not to eat. Boy, he was pretty heavy on this eating business. Adam and Eve were not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So let's take a listen to this clip. To start off, though, you are a cardiologist. You're very proactive about promoting the benefits of fasting with your patients, and I guess across society as a whole. So right at the start of this conversation, I wonder if you could outline what are the key benefits of fasting that you have seen in your patients? Traumatic. You know, I've been a cardiologist for 30 years, and I've tried everything. But when I tried fasting, I started seeing changes. People began to lose weight. People's blood pressures came down. Diabetes got reversed. The progression of coronary artery disease went down. See, I had the benefit of seeing patients from day one. So I saw that they were having a second angioplasty, another heart attack in two years, five years. I saw the numbers going down on those whom I was able to get them to lose weight through a diet, uh, fasting program. And I tried lots of uh, diet programs. It didn't seem to work, but fasting did. So, decreased blood pressure, decreased diabetes, uh, rehospitalization, LV function seemed to stay good, which means that heart muscle function continued to do well. Patients mentally also seemed to be doing better. So, fasting gave me not just this benefit, but a lot more. Also, my patients didn't end up in the hospital with fractures or falls stronger muscles and mentally they were better uh, so i started seeing that just generally patients were doing better er doctors telling me how come your, your patients don't end up in the er with acute heart attacks um all these benefits i saw were in the fasting with, with all these you know quite different benefits that you just outlined for us why is it do you think that very few medical doctors are promoting fasting with their patients. Of course, as you demonstrated, it has huge benefits. It's very effective. It's also kind of free of charge. So why is there such a resistance among, you know, like our profession to recommend this as a treatment? It's a tough sell and it takes time. You see, you're only as good as getting into your patient's brain. Can you get in there and make them make those changes? And that's a tough one, because all you're doing is giving them the advice. There's no tools coming together, there's no tablets to give to them. They gotta make that effort. And all I gotta do is get into their brain, change the way they think. And if they get convinced that yes, Doc is telling me something that resonates inside me and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make that change, um, then they'll do it. So the trouble is that most of us doctors are too busy 
we actually taking care of disease processes rather than prevention. Here, we really talking about a lifestyle change. And that's the hard part about fasting and talking to someone about fasting. Physicians find it very difficult to talk to them about that because you can just tell them that, okay, these are the benefits. That's not good enough. Um, it takes much more than that. It's a deeper dive into a patient's lifestyle. How do you wake up in the morning? How do you feel in the morning? What are the main issues in your life? So it's, it's not just about fasting. It's about your relationships. Who are you? Um, what's your life all about? Uh, all that affects your diet. Because see, fasting is also about, it's much more, it's about your whole life. It's about who do you think you are? And can you empower yourself to do it? Or are you just a slave? to your day-to-day -day routines and advertising. So to get somebody to fast, you really need to change their, their whole outlook on who they are. You are not your habits. You are not even your body. You are something that can change everything. There's a separate part of you besides your body, even your mind. There's a separateness. There's an awareness inside you. If I can get into that awareness, then I can empower you. Yeah. And if yeah. I can empower you, then I can make you fast. So doing this whole thing, it, it's not easy for most physicians. And uh, you know, even 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 people who are dedicated to teaching people about diet, it's a hard sell. Yeah. And I think that our approach has to change. Our approach, I first look at patients and I have to empower them to say, you know, you are more than what you think you are. You can do it. We can do it. We can do it. We can do it. My family has done it. And battles are won by doing what is necessary to win. And we have that warrior mentality. So. I have included in your handout some scriptures to meditate on. I don't want to run too long. Long. I'm not really sure exactly when we started, but I won't go through this list. Hopefully you can read some of the scripture verses uh, that I've put there, and uh, we'll close now. So shalom everyone, and I pray that this introduction was a blessing, and I look forward to the rest of the journey. Yeah.